Well, hello and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. My name is Will Stockdale, Ministry Associate with Ministry to State. Here, as always, with my very good friend, quite good fellow, Robert Hassler, who has recently returned as of last night from the uh, great Lone Star State, who I learned this. I didn't learn this. I guess this. I didn't realize how simple it was, but the Texas motto is friendship. Hmm. Which, actually, which, I didn't know that either. It's more like a word than a motto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I mean, I guess it's a motto. I don't know how many words have to make up a motto, but anyways, you were there, the great Lone Star State and uh, you're back, but it sounds like you had a really good restful time with. Family. Yeah, I got to, I got to visit Austin uh, where my sister lives. Uh, I haven't been to Austin in a few years, but it was good to go back and uh, uh, let my sister kind of show me her town. Uh, she took me to some cool spots, including uh, Lazarus Brewing Co., um, which, if you know anything about it, was was started by a reformed uh, guy. Uh, they had a beer that I tried that was the double predestination and uh, basically <laughs> figured if I'm a Presbyterian and I'm at a brewery that has the beer called double predestination, I was predestined to get it. So I. I had it was very good, very good. Uh, is that a is that a double Bach or a double IPA? Double IPA. There all there was also the Prodigal Pills. I had one of those. Gosh. Um, so all the beers are kind of you know theology slash Bible themed. Yeah. Um, very cool spot. If you're ever in Austin, I would highly recommend it uh, to you and to all of our listeners. Are there any that are named after famous preachers or? I didn't see any in there. Um, the only other one I had was the Ode to Joy. Uh, mm-hmm. which was a French lager. That was pretty good. I'd never had something like that before, but it was really good. Okay. Okay. Uh, did you have any tacos while there? Oh, we got street tacos everywhere we went. I mean, when in Austin, right? That's what you got to do. Well, I mean, yeah, that's why I had to ask. If not, I would question a lot of things <laughs> here, but um, well, one of the uh, things Robert and I have been following and uh, talking about, talking about with friends and um uh, people, I was at a dinner actually, and we, we talked about this as well, but so that's kind of been a phenomenon, at least in the world of evangelical Christendom is a podcast that has come out from Christianity today, uh, about the right well, called the rise and fall of Mars Hill. That's, uh, really about the, in some ways, the cult of Mark Driscoll and everything that happened there, their story narrative, a lot of background that surrounded it. And, the fallout that in many ways continues to the day, if, if no, for not for any other reason than the fact that there's a really a hot podcast right now about, uh, about him and the church that he started, but we wanted to go meta here. We wanted to go meta and do a podcast about a podcast. And part of the reason is this fits into a theme that I think is part of being a Christian in, in 2021 America. And that is dealing with, public scandals and failures of church leaders, um, questions about how the church ought to operate. Um, the podcast asks a lot of these questions. Uh, we've talked about this somewhat, whether again, it's Ravi Zacharias or like we're going to talk about today with Mark Driscoll, but there's so much of this going on um, that pretty much every Christian has to think about it. It has to have some kind of tools and ways to respond and think through it. Um, and hopefully to think clearly and well in a way that is beneficial, not only to their own walk, but to the, the, the life of um, their church as well. I'm sure that there's, um, well, well, we'll get into that. But Robert, I want to tee this off to you. Uh, you know, we're six episodes in, 
I've only listened to f- the first five, so I'm one behind you. But uh, I want I want you to take this where you want to go. Yeah. Well, I think it's just a really interesting uh, project. I mean, I don't really know anybody uh, out here in DC that's, you know, um, somewhere in the evangelical uh, landscape who's not listening to it. I mean, it just, it really has captured, I think the imagination of a lot of people. Um, and, and for many different reasons, I mean, the first and foremost, I think is just because it is just a very good quality project. I mean, it has, it has every element of sort of a good true crime narrative. I mean, if, uh, they had a bigger budget, you would think that this would probably be some sort of like Netflix looking miniseries. Um, and it's just a very sleek product that I think a lot of people, it, 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 it draws a lot of people in. Uh, for that fact. But I also, I think because what you just mentioned, um, the relevance of the uh, bad pastor uh, scandal uh, and the consequences it has on uh, the followers' faith, I think that is just a, a, a theme that we see very, um, uh, it's a theme that just seems to loom large right now. Uh, in the consciousness of many, uh, many people, um, like you mentioned, Ravi Zacharias, but you know, it, it's, it's really been happening for a long time now. And, uh, what I think is interesting about it, uh, is that it, it speaks for the people who have suffered under those kind of, uh, abusive leadership position, you know, people, uh, and the way that it's describing the solution just seems to be very, uh, interesting. And, and, um, yeah. And I, I think the way of just sort of episode by episode of tackling, tackling a different element of the story is just an interesting way to do it. So we'll get to that. We'll get to maybe, um, a, a critical engagement of the podcast and our thoughts on some things that we wish were a little different, but first to even go before that, what was your familiarity with Mark Driscoll before, well, before his fall in 2014? So what did you know about him and how did you engage with him as like a high school or college dude? Well, yeah, that's, that's a really good question because I think there's so many young guys in particular who remember sort of the young restless reform movement and being really caught up in that sort of in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, I mean, I knew of Mark Driscoll. I knew the name because I knew a lot of my friends read his books um, or they um, had older brothers that did, um, especially some of the more, uh, more stuff for like more mature guys. Um, and then I think, y- you know, he was sort of just known as like, hey, there's this really big time pastor up in Seattle, like this really cool city. I mean, obviously it's like he's coming in uh, to sort of vogue in like the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, that's the same time as like a lot of like the rock music that's coming out of Seattle. So just a lot of attention at that spot. So the fact that he was there was like really cool. And just like, I think that there was this guy that was, that was preaching, you know, I, I'm, I'm quoting cause I'm like thinking about what people were saying at the time. Like here's this guy preaching this sort of like radical Calvinist um, message. Hmm. When I think before that, a lot of people's experience, particularly in sort of like low church evangelicalism was more of a distancing from Calvinism than an embrace of it. Uh, so the fact that he was doing that and, and 
thriving and you know, seemingly thriving and having all these people come to his church. Anyone who grew up in the more reformed side of evangelicalism, particularly like PCA people, you know, that was that was notable um, that and he wasn't you know, he wasn't R.C. Sproul. He wasn't John Piper. I mean, he was this young guy that wore jeans and, you know, they they, they kind of talk about this in the podcast, like the swearing pastor. He didn't really swear a lot, but just like the jokes he would make were a little bit, you know, I guess this term has now been ruined forever, but like locker room talk kind of stuff. Right. Well, yeah. Oof, yeah. Uh, but the swearing pastor was more promulgated by a uh, blue like jazz by mm. a Donald Miller than anything else in his little chapter uh, that included Driscoll in that book. And I remember I was introduced to Driscoll when I was like in 2006, I think. I uh, went on like a beach trip with some friends from a church uh, in Fort Worth and there was a pastor that everybody loved and they just, there was a sermon that he preached on the, on the crucifixion called death by love. That was just incredibly powerful and moving to me as a, as a man, as a young man, I think it was, um, uh, it was, it was very Driscoll-esque in that it was, it was very graphic um, but describe the crucifixion in a way that like drove home some of the agony that would have been there. And maybe not all those methods were appropriate, but um, I would, my summer jobs were really lawn work in the neighborhood. And so when I was like mowing or weeding one of my neighbor's yards, I would have my iPod and be listening to a Mark Driscoll sermon that I downloaded onto the iPod as I was pulling weeds and, I remember, you know, stuff you talk about at conferences and there, there was something very um, uh, like a, a drawing about him, a very, a very uh, alluring, not alluring. I don't like, I don't want to use that word with him, but you know, it, it was attractive. It was very, it was very strong and confident and assertive. And, um, but I, I stopped listening to him after high school, really. I didn't listen to him at all in college. Any, and, yeah, uh, I think, I think for a lot of people, he, he was more of a, and maybe this is a good thing. I mean, I think for a lot of people, he was more of a, a gateway drug, if you will, into reform theology. It was a sort of like this sort of like captured your attention. It was like the shiny thing that you were like, oh, let me look at this. And then as the spirit did work in the hearts of a lot of uh, young people that listened to him, you know, you did gravitate to saying, OK, well, I want some more meat here. I need so I need something that's deeper. And I know a lot of people who sort of began in the Mark Driscoll world and then now would say, well, what really got me into like reform theology and things like that was like reading uh, R.C. Sproul or listening to his lectures or reading John Piper or something. You know, I remember uh, John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life, I think was, you know, that book looms larger in my consciousness as like sort of the young restless reformed and like what young people were reading than anything that Mark Driscoll did. But I think a lot of people got to John Piper through Mark Driscoll if that makes sense. Right. And he would have called himself a mentor, uh, yeah. a, a mentored by John Piper. But yeah. with that background, so talking about, I mean, both of us were familiar with him, very prominent figure, ballooned, just ballooned in popularity. Um, describe your your interactions with the podcast as you've listened uh, and 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 things that you think it draws attention to that are that are worthy and needed. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that it draws attention to really well, I think this is in the first couple episodes is uh, 
Cusper does a really good job of being like, let me set the stage for you because we can't actually talk about like early 2000s Seattle without really talking about what was going on in like West coast evangelicalism. Um, and I think what it does a really good job of is being like, as we progress through this podcast, we can't go back like pre Driscoll because those days aren't very bright either. Um, and, and what I mean by that is like, they're talking about sort of the rise of the televangelist. Um, the, the idea that church was detached from the sort of ordinary and regular, you know, liturgies of worship uh, and tradition and, and, and church was starting to move towards what was exciting. Well, what was exciting was, you know, the, the, the personality of the pastor. What was exciting was the way that the message got preached. So it was less like a three-point sermon and more like it could be this like call to arms and there would be bands and there would be smoke uh, screen and, and lights. And um, what I think is interesting is that the podcast does a very good job of being like, like we don't get to Driscoll without any of that. And like, we also don't want to go back to that. Like that, let's not pretend like it was really good until Driscoll got up, showed up on the scenes. Um, and I think that's a really good thing um, because I think it points to the, the, I guess the, the thing that I, that I think the most of when I listen to the podcast as somebody who's in a confessional denomination is that like, is the problem uh, just that, Mars Hill was run by uh, a leader who obviously um, uh, uh, promulgated some horrible uh, abuse uh, scandals and problems in his church. Like, is that the only problem or is there something more deep, like deeper and more fundamental going on here? And as somebody who's confessional and orthodox, I would be like, yeah, the, 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 the problem that's going on is, is related to ecclesiology and polity and confession. Where are those elements? Those elements seem to be all missing from Mars Hill. And I just, and I, I think the podcast, even though I don't think it goes a, as far enough as it should to point out those things. Like if you come from a confessional background, you hear that, that that's obviously the thing, the subtext, the thing that's sort of like blaring in the background. So what is it that you think that, it, um, this is one of the big questions is not just how did Driscoll take the huge stage, which was enormous in, in our little sliver of Christendom here in the United States. Um, but, but the why question also. So the kind of phenomenon that, uh, that drove him being such a, a figure that was so looked to and desired and um, listened to on a number of points, kind of the, the question of why that happened. I mean, I don't know about you. I'd, I'd like to get your answer for this too. But I think for me, it was the counterculturalism of Mars Hill. I, I, I mean, I do think that a lot of people were attracted to Mark Driscoll because I think his message was so r radically different than what people were hearing in the broader culture. And I think he presented it in such a way, not as like a... um uh, we'll look at all those bad people out there. Like, as long as you're in here, you're safe and protected and blah, blah. It really was more like come here and then like get your call to arms and then like go out and conquer the world. Um, which obviously is going to inspire and enthuse, you know, enthusiasm, uh, uh, 
enthuse a lot of people, particularly young men. Um, and uh, I just think that that's a really, I, I, that to me seems to be the strong reason of why Mark Driscoll happened. I mean, what do you think? Well, I, to feed off what you were saying, the context of him being Seattle is important to consider. And uh, the general lifestyle of probably a lot of people who were attracted to the church of Seattle's very Christian, post-Christian, very secular place. Um, the concept of purpose and reason is, is in any transcendent sense, is largely lacking. It was certainly largely lacking at the time of Mark Driscoll pastoring there. And so to have someone come in and demand something of you is, is actually quite refreshing and is actually quite liberating to say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, like you said, it, but it wasn't in a um, milk toasty way. I mean, he was adamant about not being that way, uh, which again is kind of like missing the forest for the trees type thing where it's like, Hey, aren't you just kind of doing the same thing, but opposite, like by taking the tone you're taking, you don't like this. So you go to the, instead of um, we'll get to this eventually, but the real answer, I think something that we need is like, what is, what does scripture say about why this is, why this is wrong and what happened. But um, so that's a, that's a really good point because I think what you say about context really matters. I mean, I was thinking like, um, even as you were just talking, like his message of going out, we're going to conquer the world for the church. You know, really it's like, if you guys listen hard enough to me, and if you like change your lives, like you will, or we will as a church, we'll change this city and we'll change the world. What's interesting is like what you just said, that is not a very different message than even some of the other big time sort of like institutions of Seattle. I mean, that's, you could basically say that's the same uh, mission of Amazon. It's the same mission of Starbucks. It's the same mission of, of Microsoft, all these massive companies that like sort of live in that sort of Seattle, Washington uh, uh, area. Um, it's, it, it's really not Mark Driscoll saying like, here's this countercultural message of this is how we live so different than the rest of the world. I mean, his message was like, I can take that and I can like repackage it for Christ and then like send out people to, to, to sort of compete against these other Thanks. It's just a very interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah. And something else that they mentioned in terms of context and place is a lot of Gen Xers. Um, you get older millennials like me, and then you get Gen Xers as well. And the attraction of a fight club theme and that line of, and we are getting very, very ticked off because we realize that the world, people feel like the world has sold them a bill of goods. Um, and, uh, that that was a very real ethos uh, of kind of um, people are angry and fed up. And so I'm going to be angry and fed up as well, but fed up at the things that people are fed up at <laughs> and take that same ang- anger and, but channel it what was desirous of in a good way. And to mention good right there, you know, this is one thing that I think I, I appreciate about the podcast and that as Christians, you know, we we're, we're called to be truth tellers Um which we have to be contextual about things and who we talk to, but um, there's a lot of good that happened there. There were a lot of people who did find purpose. Uh, There's a lot of men who did get their lives together. There are a lot of women who were cared for. Again, there's also a lot of tragedy and wickedness that happened as well. Um, A lot of pressure that was put on women that shouldn't have been. Um, But we, we can't just, um, 
see things that happen badly and then just like disown and and completely distance ourselves from everything um it, we know the truth is a little more nuanced and layered than than that but uh so in light of this mark driscoll wasn't on an island um he was interacting with a lot of other prominent leaders so one of them was john piper and uh there is an interview that john piper did with someone shortly after um the fall of mark driscoll and he kind of gave his Somewhat, they asked him some questions like, how do you think about this? And what do you uh, consider? And one of the things that he said, I thought was really interesting. And I think very, John Piper is just so, is a very wise, wise man, not perfect at all, but very wise. And one of the things that he said was, um, he's like, I was involved. I knew Mark Driscoll. I didn't like everything about his church. And he said, there's not any church I like everything about. And he's talking to him. He says, I don't like everything about your church. And then he said, I don't like everything about my church. And number of things, one, Mark Driscoll, it seems, wanted to have a church where he liked everything about it, where he was not willing to concede anything that was out of accord of what he wanted. And I, I guarantee you that good pastors and preachers and leaders have things in their church that they don't like. Now, there are biblical things that are commanded that they cannot they cannot negotiate on, but like the children's curriculum that's used. There's a lot of, there's a lot of options there. The pastor make, I wish we didn't do that one. It's not wrong. I just don't, but you just surrender that. Like, I wish that the conference didn't happen this weekend. I wish that, I wish that the youth pastors or the women's ministry, the men chose a different theme, like, you know, but that's fine. And so there's, there's that for good pastors are willing to like, say, look, this is not a hill to die on. I don't know if Mark Driscoll believed that philosophy. I think everything, every hill was a hill to die on. And Mountains were made out of mole hills. Uh, but the other the other thing is for us as Christians, um, and I'm guilty of this, my gosh, but criticizing things in my church that I don't like. And it's like, you know, Christian, we need to be aware that Lord willing, our pastor isn't isn't doesn't love everything about the church either. Um, and to be willing that there's gonna be things that that we don't like and praise God, we can't have everything our way because we're finite and not able to do that. We have to be trusting of other people. But I thought that was a really wise insight of Piper and like a humble admission of like, yeah, it's just kind of the way of church. You're, no one is going to like everything and not even the pastor is going to like everything that's happening. Well, that, that goes to a really good point that you made earlier before we started recording about, you know, binding people's, binding people's consciences. Or, or what we would call like the freedom of the, uh, of the conscience to the believer. And it just seems that like at Mars Hill, like congregants just didn't really have a lot of freedom of conscience. I mean, it was the way Mark Driscoll said it was, and you were, you were either in line or you were out of line. And at being out of line could have very serious consequences. What not a, hey, you know, you're disagreeing with the pastor, you know, maybe you should think about that. No, it was more like, hey, you're out of the church kind of consequences. I mean, that it makes you really appreciate the PCA doctrine on freedom of the God of freedom of conscience and not binding oh, people's consciences. Oh, I, I, I think that I wish more PCA people were, were aware of the beauty of the do not bind the conscience and, and the care pastors take for that. But you, you know, you mentioned the kind of on the bus off the, or you alluded to like the on the bus off the bus bus that you guys talked about. Um, the first place that I'm aware of that phrase being used the on the bus off the bu bus is from Tom Wolf's, nonfiction novel, uh, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, uh, about Ken Kesey and his gang of 
merry pranksters and them tripping on LSD and traveling across the United States. And the idea was you're either on the bus and all on board with Kezi and his cult, basically that he's trying to, and, and all that he's trying to do with, with this hippie movement or you're off and you're out. And I was like, Mark Driscoll didn't mean to do that, but it's like, man, it's super ironic that the terminology you're using was also used 60 years, 45 years ago by a mega hippie and his cult following that he created around himself. Well, isn't it interesting? Like this is, this really goes to the idea of like, don't get too esoteric, but like this idea of movement. And what's interesting is that like in the, in the, in the latest episode, which you've got to catch up on, they go into like the young restless reformed movement and like evangelical Christianity as a movement. Um, And what, in order for movements to succeed, you have to have strong personalities. And I just, I'm starting to now have questions or just sort of wonder out loud about, you know, what do we mean when we use that word, like the Christian movement, um, the Jesus movement, and whether that's appropriate for churches or, or is it appropriate for Christians to speak of the mission of Christ? Like, I think we need to be really careful about the way that we define ourselves and define what we do, particularly in worldly terms, because like what you just said, and I'm just speaking for myself right now, but like what you just said makes me think like, yeah, I, movements t- tend to be pretty scary when you, when you look at what ends up is a lot of the, the inroads to a lot of them. Is that really the appropriate word for when we talk about the mission of God? Well, yeah, particularly when you're dealing with matters that people at least assume are transcendent and eternal, uh, you're, you're freighting a lot of weight with a movement that is attached to that. Um, and it, 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 again, it, it, and so let's move here. Actually, I think this might be a good place to go of, um, offering some critiques of this podcast. And the reason for that is, uh, um, I think it allows us to maybe offer a prescription and a reminder of good church government and, and solid ecclesiology. I'll say this, uh, Mark, Mike Cosper is a former pastor, works for Christianity Today. I have been so struck and thankful for his demeanor that seems to exude, but for the grace of God, there go I. I, I don't think that he has spoken in a way that is self-righteous or I would never, ever dream of doing something like that. I, uh, he seems to have a very, like, he's doing an excellent job just as a, a, a his job, but also in a pastoral posture to take of, I'm aware that this could happen to anyone. And uh, I am reliant on God's grace and mercy for um, faithfulness. For sure. Well, I mean, kudos to all the pastors that were like involved at Mars Hill or like on staff there to like come on the podcast and to not do, which would be so tempting and easy, which is to be like, yeah, I was the one guy there and I kind of knew what was, you know, I saw what was going on and I knew about it. Maybe I didn't speak up when I should have, but you know, I quit and like, I knew like, no, a lot of those guys go on there and they're like, yeah, I was totally all in on Mark. Like I thought what he was doing was awesome. I, I helped do a lot of these things and now I'm here and I've, you know, I'm going through a period of repentance. I've been repenting to the individuals that we hurt. I mean, to have the, I mean, to have the backbone to go onto a huge podcast like that and really say like, yeah, I really messed up and I'm really embarrassed and sorry for the way I participated in it. I mean, that is just, I, I pray that I have that level of humility 
um, and trust in the sovereignty of God one day. Yeah. And so with that, um, we can look at why were people around Mark Driscoll willing to go along with what was going on. And there's probably a host of presuppositions. Look, this is what's needed at the time. This is the culture that we're in. This is, uh, he's by and large preaching scripture. We'll make excuses for these kind of bad things because by and large, it's good. You know, it's somewhat like Christian Machiavellian approach to church leadership. And I think one of the dangers that we need to be aware of is that as the people who were leading Mars Hill were in a cultural context, were in a church context that they thought they were doing what was best at the time. They were borrowing all kinds of presuppositions to their practices. So are those who are offering criticisms now. This is also a cultural context. There, there's also an ethos. There's also certain waves. There are also certain things that are anathema that are untouchable. There are things that we are certain that are right or wrong way to do things that we'll probably look in 10 to 15 years and be like, that probably was not the best way to go about it. And so I think that's an interesting thing about these kind of critiques, because remember, it is being critiqued from a position of August 4th, as we record 2021. Um, and I, I think we see a lot of that in, in these critiques or criticisms of it that I, I'm, I'm concerned uh, might end up doing a lot of harm to, um, again, these are small things. This isn't, I don't think this is the whole, you and I disagree on this actually. It's, it's fun. We were disagreeing on offline, which I really enjoyed. Um, it's challenging to me. So I'm thankful for your challenging different uh, thoughts. Um, but, but, I think we need to pay attention to how the critiques are being done and what they are. So that's a long yeah. lead in. Yeah. I mean, I think that one, one critique I, I tend to find, and it, it you were right when you said it, it has less to do with um, Cosper and maybe even Christianity today and, and more so just the, the people that they bring on uh, as sort of experts to talk about certain things. And I think that is um, there's a certain uh, proclivity to saying um, oh, everything that went wrong at Mars Hill, I can tell you goes back to this, you know, one idea that I have. And if you disagree with me, well, that again is proof that like you are suffering from the same cultural blindness that Mark Driscoll was suffering from. And so like this comes out a lot, I think, in the discussions about specifically about complementarianism that come up uh, in the episode about um, what we do to women. And to be very clear, what happened to many of the women at Mars Hill and the messages that Mark Driscoll were, was saying, to, it sounded like almost to close doors to men um, that are leaked and they have that. Those things are absolutely horrible and repugnant and uh, an anathema. Um, there is nothing in that that is redeemable. And I think that needs to be very, that needs to be stated very out front. Um, but there is a sort of trend. It, it, it's the, it's not explicitly in this podcast, but it's in connection with who they bring on with guests and then other popular pieces that are being written in tangent to this podcast. And that's the, the sort of argument that's like, well, if you have complementarianism, then of course these abuses will happen. It's like a sort of a necessary first step. And I, I, what I hear is like, no, 
the problem was that you had a really gross message coming from a, from a single pastor who had no accountability and was not basing his message on anything in the word or in orthodoxy. So uh, uh, that's that, in fact, not the message of complementarianism or the uh, traditional sex, sexual ethic of Christianity. Um, and so you can't actually draw that line. Um, and I understand why. I mean, I understand why people would want to draw that line, especially if you have egalitarian, egalitarian leaning. But I think that we need to be very clear that it's a stretch to argue that complementarianism by definition is abusive. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And it is, um, uh, it's false, it's fallacious, but it's also very uncharitable and, uh, and a straw man that they're arguing against in complementarianism as if, as if one form represents all. Uh, I, I thought one person that comes on uh Kobes Dumez uh Kristen Dumez uh, she gave an explanation for how the strong complementarianism arose and I thought it was exceptionally flat and I think one thing that is concerning about her and the way she describes as if the things that people were concerned about weren't actually legitimately concerning like people were terrified of secularism it's like okay well that's certainly not a good thing it's also like incredibly um, delusional secularism as an as an idea as a delusional concept uh, communism I mean let's remember like what the Soviet Union did and we're not talking about communism communism whatever people thought versus Christianity it was like secular materialist devoid of any sense of spiritual transcendence uh, humans are interchangeable cogs versus life-giving Christian like that's what people were seeing um, feminism Complication of feminism, my gosh, we're at least in the fourth wave of feminism right now. It means a number of different things. Not all of it is good. So, but she kind of flattens it out there. Um, I, I thought that it, it also, it, her argument was strangely worded in that it like made the assumption that complementarianism just popped into existence in the 1960s as if there wasn't a 2000 year history of complementarian. Now, of course, the egalitarians would disagree, but I will disagree with them and <laughs> how long that tradition lasts. Uh, and so I think what this is, is, this is part of her larger book project of, of the Jesus and John Wayne joke that of a book that, you know, um, she has out there. Uh, so, you know, um, there, there's that. And what I think is what is concerning is not just that it's um, somewhat disingenuous and, and, um, historic or theologically problematic um the people who are listening who who aren't aware of what you said like not all complementarianism in fact the vast majority 99 percent of it isn't that way uh in the same that um not all egalitarian men would be like emasculated or something yeah, right like, like, well, let's go to the other end let's 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 car let's caricaturize the others no that's not that's not fair um and what you get is, is people can potentially throw the baby out with the bathwater, trash all of the hist all of the past, all of it was bad, all of all of evangelicalism from. Well, you know, it, the question is like when when the podcast and those who come on it speak about, you know, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, because that is a, is a stated intention of the podcast is to say to demonstrate, like, what is the good that the Lord was doing uh, despite all of these horrible uh, sins? And I think that's a noble effort. And, uh, but I do have a question about like, what do, what do we mean by that? Like, 
is <laughs> what the good that God was doing. Was it sort of like this sort of like progressive vision of history where like this thing has to be like revealed in order to destroy all of our like preconceived notions so that we can like start something new. Or is, are we talking about the good that the Lord was doing as he has always done in his church from the very beginning of still proclaiming the gospel and still regenerating hearts to the power of the spirit, despite broken vessels who are, who are leading the church and preaching that message. I mean, that's, if, you know, if it's that latter part, then like, I'm all about that because that's what the Bible tells us. I mean, that's clearly biblical, but when it, when it becomes the former, which I think for, I'm not for everybody that comes on that podcast. And I don't even really think it's Christianity Today's perspective, but like for some of the people that come on that podcast, it's like Mark Driscoll, like Mark Driscoll and what happened at Mars Hill is like sort of this like necessary evil that needed to happen so that we could see all this bad stuff and then we could do something new. Um, And I, I would reject that. Yeah. I, one of the things that's lacking and maybe it'll come later on is a response to what was wrong with Mars Hill biblically. Now, what most of the time seems to be done in these interviews and discussions is that what was done was wrong because it hurt people. Is it wrong to do violence against people? Yes, it is wrong to, uh, to unjustly cause harm. And I say unjustly cause harm because, or I say unjustly hurt because there are times when people who love me hurt me um, that I need it. I need the wounds of a friend, right? Uh, That's what I'm here for, Will. <laughs> many. Um, and so um, if the principles only do no harm, which is, again, that kind of seems to be like, why was what just called the wrong rule? Because it hurt people. It's like, what was wrong was there were a lot of actual clear biblical issues that were violated here. There was a, there was a crassness in the way that he spoke from the pulpit. There was a vulgarity. There was a sense of pornographic imagery that he would use in descriptions in his language. There was an, uh, the reason that so much of what Driscoll did was wrong was people were harmed. Sure. But bigger than that is that God has given us in his word, how he desires to be worshiped and approached uh, and a posture of humility and gentleness that should be there. That was just almost completely lacking. And I think one thing that would be helpful um, for the podcast is to come at it with a scriptural and, and this is the problem with Christianity Day. They're not confessional in one way. And and look, that's fine. But to to say that, you know, they weren't following the regulative principle, uh, they're like, well, we're not a Presbyterian <laughs> publication. So, you know, they're not going to do that. Uh, but there needs to be some way to say like, hey, these are clear things that have been given to us in scripture for how Jesus desires for his church to operate. Uh, how Jesus has chosen to run the church. And unless that's done, you're just going to get more personalities coming out and saying like, I'm going to be gentle, uh, but I'm going to do church my way. And it's like, okay, well, we're still going to have these huge issues here. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. You know, you, you could also say like the people who listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, the audience that you're either going to have two kinds of audience listeners. Uh, you're going to have the people who hear it and say, well, what we really need is we need a, a, a better Mark Driscoll. We need a better man or woman in this role. A second Adam, as it were. <laughs> or you're going to hear, you're going to get the people, I think it's going to be a far, far smaller segment, unfortunately, but you are going to get people who go, man, I got to go check out one of these confessional churches. Uh, it doesn't seem like, it seems very, they, they seem to be very clear on like what worship is supposed to be and how we ought to think about the preacher um, or pastor 
And it seems to be different than what Mars Hill was saying. Um, and maybe that's the root problem. And I think, you know, that'd be interesting. And I think that, um, I think that's going to be really attractive, you know, as I think forward, as I think, you know, as somebody who's also, be, you know, in the process, Lord willing, of becoming a, a leader in the, in the local church uh, and um, talking with a lot of people about their faith and, and their um, spiritual journeys. Um, it, one thing that I have noticed is that young people are really attracted. Uh, there's a particular type of young person that um, has grown up in sort of the low church evangelicalism or sort of, you know, uh, quasi uh, religious faith. Um, and they are just really attracted to this idea of something that's lasting, that is not just a, a, a movement of the latest fads and trends, but of something that reaches back in history, um, that connects them and binds them in a, in a spiritual sense, but a real sense um, to the believers of uh uh that of acts to the disciples uh of christ to the old testament saints i mean they that's something that's really attractive and that i you can kind of see Gosh. this like sort of go ahead but oh, i i love hearing that reformed ap- apostolicity going on there you there know you I, I hear i hear what you're saying snap snap for that let's go um, that'll preach and uh but like i see this sort of like like uh anecdotally, like, I, I can't tell you how many young people that I've met that grew up in sort of like low church evangelicalism and have like, uh, joined the Catholic church. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, saying like, that's a really simple reason why they did that. There's tons of nuances and, and reasons why people make decisions like that. But I'm just saying, like, I, I think that one thing that I do tend to hear a lot is like this idea of tradition of confession of something that, uh, reaches back, uh, and sort of, defies um the trends and the movements of 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 our day and i think that what's great is that for uh presbyterians uh who you know we're of ministry of state it's a presbyterian organization we're going to advocate for confessionalism and presbyterianism i mean i think for us we have that we have that tradition we have that um confession we have that system of doctrine and i think that that that's be something that we should be really uh, vocal about and, and expressive about and not embarrassed about um, because the, the the movements of the day, the Mars Hills of the, that still exist, that are still out there and the Mark Driscoll's that are still out there are going to keep hurting people. And when those people get hurt, we need to be able to welcome them with open arms and care for them and love them and show them that the, that the Lord Jesus Christ loves them and cares for them too and doesn't want them to walk away. And I think that's a really important thing for us in the future. Yeah, great place to end. Yeah. Great place to end. So uh, I'm going to land the plane right here and uh, we uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Um, Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Stockdale. Will Robert Burt is at RD Hassler. Uh, Like and subscribe, leave us a review uh, strongly worded in our favor, and we will be back with you next week.